to keep people trained and to keep people up to date and to make sure that everybody's singing from the same hymn sheet, you have to be able to do in-person and or facilitate in-person training. It's very difficult when you run a distributed workforce, no matter what kind of company you are. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where for just a few minutes of your day, we provide insights and ideas for keeping safe your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, SVP of Strategic Sales of Alert Media. And I'm joined today by Michael Zhao, who's the founder and CEO of Yellowbird. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me. Uh, Good. Good to hear it. Well, I look forward to diving into our topic on environmental health and safety policies and procedures. But before we begin, just to set some context, could you tell our listeners who you are, a little bit about your background? And then I guess also, what, what does Yellowbird bring to the market? Sure. So I am a 25-plus-year tech guy. Um, I have been working in high-risk environments using primarily satellite communications and other communications companies I've been involved in for uh, most of my career in uh, satellite and or fiber. Um, I'm a father of two great kids, a husband of a wife of 20 years. Um, I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. And um, founded Yellowbird about a year, year and a half ago um, with the ambition of being the on-demand environmental health and safety resource for small, medium, and large businesses um, who need experts for EHS. Okay, well, great. And I look forward to digging down to that a little bit more because I think it's pretty relevant, especially to a lot of our listeners. But uh, let's go ahead and start the discussion by basically looking back on what we might call the traditional model of employee health and safety within an organization, how would you describe what EHS has always looked like in the past? When the labor acts came out for protecting your general labor force, and that's when workers' comp came around and policies and procedures were being really developed to protect the labor force. And it hasn't evolved too much during that process, although over the last uh, decade or so, there's been a very heavy focus on technology to try and uh, improve the worker safety uh, record keeping procedures and how um, people are able to manage their complexities of the OSHA and EPA and other safety uh, processes. So um, the industry hasn't changed too much. And that's one of the reasons I created Yellowbird is to uh, try and kind of bring the industry from a segmented industry into a more technologically um, uh, advanced uh, matching industry. Got it. Well, what are some of those big obstacles that organizations face with the traditional approach to EHS? You know, uh, the biggest one, candidly, is the depth of knowledge that is expected to be held within the one to three person EHS departments of organizations. Um, You're responsible for everything. If you think about environmental health and safety, it covers everything from coronavirus that's going on right now, which I'm sure we'll speak of with industrial hygiene, 
uh, training, forklift training to, um, to scaffolding, to slip and fall. Um, you also have anything that has to do with worker uh, compliance for OSHA regulations, um, hazardous materials and chemicals and uh, uh, stormwater. I mean, there's so many things that the biggest issue that most organizations have is frankly that it's almost impossible to be an expert in any of these things. And so you end up having to spread yourself very, very thin. Mm, that's interesting. It's almost like if you think about an organization doesn't have a team of lawyers in-house. They have a general counsel who's able to understand the situation and then essentially find experts to come in and help. Absolutely. That's a great analogy. And, that's, and that is what we are doing. Interesting. Okay. Would you say that the challenges that organizations face are industry or employee size specific, or are they rather ubiquitous regardless of how big you are or what industry you're in? Each business has its own challenges. Um, I, I don't think that there is a one size fits all when it comes to EHS. Um, and I'll give you a good example. You could be a manufacturing facility who deals with a lot of forklifts and chemicals and um, heavy equipment, as an example. And your needs are very different than a healthcare operation who maybe has um, the maybe also chemicals and maybe also heavy equipment, but different equipment and different things that you need to be concerned with. The biggest issue, honestly, is the lack of staffing resources uh, to keep people trained and to keep people up to date and to make sure that everybody's um, singing from the same hymn sheet. You have to be able to do in-person and or facilitate in-person training. It's very difficult when you run a, a distributed workforce, no matter what kind of company you are. Okay. Well, you mentioned tech before, which always gets my interest because I'm a tech guy too. Been in it for over a quarter of a century now. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but how, you know, tech is is disrupting every industry out there, and there are very few that haven't been disrupted by tech. So, how is it impacting how organizations are approaching EHS challenges? And I mean, clearly, you guys are helping with that. So, tell me more about that. Sure. Um, well, there's the natural the the natural. Uh, uh, software development process is to take the paper and pen and digitize it. And that is the natural inclination. And that is where technology has led in my industry, in this industry, which is how do we take our compliance and our checklists and our processes and procedures? And it first started on paper and pen. And, you know, you have your weekly, monthly, quarterly, however, whatever your KPIs are that you measure your, your, programs too. And then they moved to spreadsheets and Excel changed the world there. <laughs> right, and then they right. moved and now they've moved to apps and so forth. And so it's been very, very helpful for people to track uh, their their tactical efforts. The challenge is, is that there are a lot of circumstances in EHS that are responsive and or break fix, where you have gotten an OSHA letter or you have a whistleblowing scenario where an ex-employee or somebody has uh, notified Department of Labor, or you have a situation where somebody, heaven forbid, gets injured or, or even a fatality. How do you respond to that? And that's where our technology and our company is really trying to help, where we say, okay, um, who do you call if you get that OSHA letter? You know, I always ask that question you get this OSHA letter and you're a small organization that maybe doesn't have a director of safety, 
your your human resources person is the person responsible for this. Who do you call? And they sort of thinking, well, maybe I call my insurance broker or maybe I call my lawyer. Um, and then who do they call? And there are a lot of small consulting firms in this country. In fact, this industry is built on one to three person consulting firms. There's thousands of them. Still, those people can't be generalists. They have to have a specialty. And so you're then calling on a generalist. At times, maybe you found a specialist, but at times you pull on a, a generalist. And so what we're doing is we're matching the whole person. So I'll take a person um, who has you know, an OSHA 510 certification with a construction cert who happens to be a union trained person who retired after 35 years and has written these programs. Right. They're a great person to be on demand and their knowledge is in need and they're useful and yet they're retired. So they're also sitting on the sidelines. So that's a good example of where Yellowbird can really help a company. That's interesting. I mean, it's a neat way to bring people together. You can have someone, things are getting so specialized now. It's almost like if you looked at the law or medicine, you don't just have a single general practitioner that can handle whatever comes your way. There's way too many rules and regulations. You need specific expertise. You need someone to ignore everything else and focus just on that part that's becoming really complex. Mm -hmm. But it's not enough to keep them employed full time at one place necessarily. But if you can then match them in the marketplace with 10, 20, 30 organizations that need that specific help for a few hours each month. It's a fantastic match. Absolutely. That's a, you, you said it better than I could. That is exactly our, that's exactly our vision truly is. Um, my goal is to, at some point have industry understand that their internal folks can focus on managing total programs and we are a resource for them to help execute those res- um, those programs. So I look at it as a generalist, a GP, a general practitioner for a, in the doctor's world. Yep. Yet, if you get a mole on your arm, you should probably go to a dermatologist. If you have a brain tumor, heaven forbid, you should go to a, a, a nervous system expert or a brain surgeon. We're going to consolidate all these resources all around the country for the given need at the given time. And the best part is, from my perspective, what I'm excited about with what we're doing is we can open doors for organizations like in the construction industry. There are bids that require you to have somebody who is a safety professional on location for the bid or for the build the entire time, but you're not large enough to compete on that. So Mm. they know bid. So what we're able to do now is we're able to say, okay, you need to have somebody for the four-month project no problem. Go to Yellowbird, pick up somebody for four months. We've got the people. Very cool. You've got so much experience in this space. What are some of the other big picture trends in the industry that uh, EH professionals should be aware of just in general, things that you're seeing out there? Um, There's a few things. Uh, COVID has really pushed ahead a lot of tech. Um, And when I say tech, I don't just mean, you know, bits and bytes. Um, I'm been part of a uh, Arizona return to work uh, COVID consortium. And the uh, government put this together or the governor's office helped uh, facilitate some of this um, with private enterprise. And we've seen some really cool things. We've seen some antimicrobial and antibacterial um, um, products that have been made for 
PPEs, so mm -hmm. protective equipment, which nobody knew the name of before COVID, and now PPE is a common nomenclature uh, thing in the in the world. Another acronym. Uh, yeah, it's a, yeah, <laughs> acronym, exactly. Uh, you know, you've also got your um, chemicals and um, things that will combat, uh, you know, uh, COVID and other things that great advancements. This industry has is really a responsive industry to need. So, you know, everything that you see in equipment today has been a response to a, an incident, a tragedy, something of the past, right. everything from, you know, the, the glasses where everybody needs to use, or frankly, when you're welding and you see all these people with these masks that they drop down because the welding arc uh, will blind you. Unfortunately, that was found out uh, through the hard way. Mm. Um, and so I think this industry is very, very cool because people see needs, uh, you know, retractable blade uh, covers so that when you're working on a, a saw blade, um, that when it's not, you know, pushing the, uh, the wood through, it, it covers the blade to protect yeah. it. Um, lock out, tag out when you come to uh, equipment that you have to lock it up or tag it out when you're using it because it's so dangerous. That's all kind of come out of necessity. So I think the industry in total is really good at seeing a need and coming up with a solution around it. Okay. Well, you mentioned COVID, which yep, I'd love to pick your brain on that. I mean, it's it's clearly front and center, and it's been incredibly disruptive across all aspects of our economy. But how yep. has it impacted EHS in particular, based on what you've seen out there? You know, it's very very challenging. Um, EHS. Environmental health and safety, it falls squarely into the COVID-19 playbook. And so you have uh, industrial hygiene, which is basically the science of, of, of managing industrial risk and uh, thing, touch points and, and transmission of disease. And um, it even touches the FDA um, as much as, you know, EHS covers even some, some guidelines of food management. and. Wow. Um, it, it's a real, like I said, it's a very broad industry, yeah. um, which is very challenging because you have a director of EHS and they're responsible for all this stuff. It's very, it's a very uh, challenging job. Yeah. We need you to treat this uh, mole over here and do some brain surgery. And then when you need to fix this knee today. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and by the way, you know, you're, you're a doctor, so you have to do it. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. So in health and safety and specifically for COVID, the, the, benefit has been that it has become media mainstream or mainstream media focused on how difficult this is. Mm. And so, you know, what many organizations, including Yellowbird, are doing is we're putting return to work plans together. We're doing return to work programs for other companies. But, you know, companies have to put a return to work plan and strategy. And that includes you know, the, the thermometers at the doors and um, what you can legally do and you can't legally do from an OSHA perspective. Um, you know, touch points and, and air, um, the amount of air circulating. Um, you know, industrial hygiene actually tests the air spores in the air for these, uh, they call them aerosols, this uh, airborne particulates. Industrial mm -hmm. hygiene actually tests for those. And so that's part of the EHS uh purview. And so one of the things that I think EHS has been responsible, environmental health and safety, has been responsible for is all hands on deck in this environment. 
what I fear candidly is when we get back to the working environment, that some of the practices and protocols that people have had in place for the last decade for keeping their people safe, their consistent training methodologies, their reinforcement of the rules and regs, making sure that everybody is always wearing their glasses and hard hats and PPE is going to slip and you're going to see a higher incident rate. And I really hope that doesn't happen. No, that's a good point. It seems like we always get, I don't know what the word is, but uh, distracted by the emergency yeah. of the moment. And then sure. naturally it's, it's too much for us to juggle. And then when we go back to quote normal, we forget right. what we were doing before. And that's a great point for our listeners. It's like, there will be a normal at some point in the future. You need to continue to reinforce during this abnormal time. This is how it's going to be when we get back. Otherwise, people are going to forget and they'll slip. Or, you know, here's another opportunity. You know, there's a lot of folks that are just waiting it out and um, they're doing the best that they can, but they're waiting out for COVID to subside and they're working from home and they're letting their operations, if they can, uh, become um you know, more remote work environments. So you can come up with strategies right now that you hope to implement when you get back. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like summer vacation in a way, you know, you do your best thinking when you're sitting on a beach, I hope, <laughs> uh, you know, when you finally can get away from the 700 emails a, a week you're getting and, and kind of free your mind to think strategically. This is kind of the time for EHS to think strategically as well. Yeah. I can do some real work when people aren't bothering me. <laughs> totally, totally. And I'm the same way. My to-do list looks the same at the end of the day as it did at the beginning because I had so many darn emails yeah. and phone calls and, you know, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> well, yeah, something you mentioned before is uh, PPE clearly being this new acronym that we're using and everyone's familiar with it now. And we know there's a lot of shortages, especially early on. It seems like the supply chain is, for the most part, catching up. Like, I can see hand sanitizer at my store now. Although, strangely enough, soap is really hard to get. It's very strange. Yes. Uh, but just that's the, that's the obvious stuff that people know. The masks, the face shields, the soap, the hand sanitizer. What mm -hmm. about other equipment that is not maybe seen and the average person doesn't see, like air filtration systems and all those things? In your experience, are you seeing that there is shortages in equipment like that? And what should companies think about as they start planning to bring people back? Do they need to plan eight months in advance? because they're going to have to order this stuff and it's hard to get? Great question. That's a really, really good question. We're not seeing it yet. Um, and that's a very insightful question that you asked because I don't know the answer. Um, because there's a lot of, you know, I feel sad. My, my, my family is in commercial real estate, my brother-in-law and some others. And commercial real estate right now is really challenging because people aren't in their offices. Um, so they're doing a lot of the maintenance things that they've been doing and so forth. And they're doing a good job. But are they ahead of the curve? Do they need to change their protocols? Um, one of the things with the, uh, you know, our Yellowbird Return to Work program is, you know, we do these reports at the end and we say, your HVAC is only is turning right now X amount of air per hour. You need to increase its velocity and you need to change it to these types of filters and things yeah. to that effect. A lot of folks aren't doing that yet because they're not yet preparing to go back. Right. Um, so I do wonder about things like that. It's a really great question. Um, things like air filters are going to be a big one. Um, there's a couple of products out in the marketplace uh, that do, um, there's a, a BioProtect product that I really like um, that's made by a company here in, in Phoenix. And they're, it's a mechanical, um, it's a mechanical uh, uh 
uh, sealant essentially. And it's supposed to last 90 days and they've done some testing on it. And it seems to work. And it looks like a little, um, a little bed of nails hmm. um, to the, at, at a microscopic level. And that when the COVID lands on it, it bursts the little, uh, the, the little bubble of oh, uh, right. COVID. Yeah. Very, very cool product. Uh, again, BioProtect. Uh, is, yeah, and I like those guys. And I, and I, I only mention products that I actually have been very impressed by. But things like that, a different way of protecting these, um, the the people is a is a very interesting question of how we're going to be able to keep it up to stock because we don't know what the demand is right now. We really don't. Yeah. Uh, when we go back. So we're not encouraging people to go out and hoard this stuff like they did no. paper. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Start thinking about it. <laughs> not at all. I just got my toilet paper back. I don't want to lose it again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, as you think about all the changes that are happening and all the things EHS folks have to do because of COVID, across all industries and jobs, there's things yeah. that are going to become the new normal and we're not going to go back to the way things were done previously. Right. Are there any analogies or, or things that are analogous in the EHS world that you just think it's it's not going to go back to normal? Like EH, EHS people are going to start having to do this type of thing they're doing now under COVID for the foreseeable future, even if, yeah. if we get things under control with the virus. Yeah, I mean, one of the challenges that all organizations have had is you can run a, a pretty consistent and tight ship when it comes to if you're the right size organization and you have dedicated people and you're in a single office or a campus, you can run a pretty nice EHS program. As you start getting separate offices, as you expand geographically, or if you're too small to have a dedicated person, um, it becomes really challenging. It really does. It's, you know, again, one of the reasons for Yellowbird, but as and the reason I bring this up is the big thing that I've heard from EHS and environmental, um, you know, in, in environmental health and safety professionals in the marketplace is that they live on airplanes. Mm. You know, oh yeah, I'm going to be flying all around the country to roll out our uh, 2020 uh, um, EHS plans, and so by the time I'm done training everybody, I I won't have been in my bed for you know six weeks. You'd, you'd hear that a lot. Of course, know? yep. Again understaffed and and dedicated and they're rolling out these programs and living on airplanes i think it's a thing of the past i don't think people are going to be doing that and so i think they're going to have to change how that's done whether it be knighting somebody which is kind of the way it's done right now you say okay uh i'm an ehs um director or manager and i'm going to take do a Zoom call with all the HR managers or HR responsible people in each of these locations. And then they need to take the pamphlets that I've created and go out and do training to all the folks. That's one way of doing it. Um, of course, Yellowbird is another way of doing it. But there's, you know, they're, they're, they're going to have to figure out a, a, a different methodology to accomplish this because I don't think living in airplanes and in vehicles, um, traveling is going to be a a reasonable request for quite some time. Yeah. So I think that you're right. The deputizing people in your organization, but they're right. busy with other things, right? right? And they really focus on it and it's not their job. Right. Or it's finding those experts out there that are really good at what they do in that one little thing. And they can come in and give you a few hours a week or whatever it is that you need. That makes total sense. Yeah. We have, uh, we have a group that's actually using some Yelber professionals for man for manning their, um, their emergency call center. Um, 
and it's the COVID return emergency call center. So it, they had dedicated phone lines set up and they've asked us to assist with that where somebody who's knowledgeable about this can take and track the, the call-ins and give a, uh, not necessarily a recommendation, but at least create a point of action um, on, these call, on these inbound call center deals. The question is, who do you take off of their normal job? Everybody has, I mean, yeah. it's not like you have a staff member who's sitting around waiting for this. So how do you accomplish this? You have to hire someone internal or external, but you need a resource for it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, Hey, let me close out by asking a a question. I always like to ask, which is what can you give our audience today? Something they can take away with them and immediately go make an impact in their organization when it comes to EHS. Um, well, I'll be I'll be the salesman for a second and go to go <laughs> go yellowbird.com because it truly will it will materially uh positively impact their business. It truly will. Um but from a generalized perspective, I would say under uh, joining some of the associations um that have to do with environmental health and safety, these are extremely well-run organizations. Um, National Safety Council is a very good organization. Um, The ASSP, which is another, uh, is a very good organization. They send out newsletters and and things like that. And I would recommend that people that aren't in safety get, um, get those. And the reason for that is it will make you think a little bit differently about uh, risk and the impact of, of these things. You see statistics and it, it, it's astonishing. And sometimes you, you see something and, you, and, you, and it just makes you just shake your head like, oh man, that, that's such a horrible thing that happened. And nobody wants to be part of the morose, but you also want to understand that that was preventable. And all it took was somebody spending the time wow. to train properly. Um, and, and, and so uh, that would be the takeaway is one, understand that this isn't, this, this is, there's no, including Yelber, there is no uh, silver bullet. It's going to take a combination of a whole bunch of things and um, keeping it, you know, they talk about safety cultures, but when you really find out you have a safety culture is when people are okay with, with saying that's not safe. We need to find a better way and have everybody go. Yep. You're right. Cause that is not safe. Instead of, well, we're going to lose a half a day and we can't afford a half a day. That's when people get hurt or injured. That's exactly right. And it sounds like if you, like you said, join um, these organizations where you can essentially learn from other people's pain that they suffer through. uh, Invaluable to do that. And it will help you go, you know what? This could happen to us. (laughs) We better get ahead of it. Well, hey, fantastic conversation. I absolutely appreciate your perspective on the state of EHS that's out there today. And if anyone listening has any kind of follow-up questions for you or just wants to connect with you directly, what's the best way for them to find you? Well, um, my uh, my LinkedIn is michael.zal, Z-A-L-L-E. And that's probably the easiest way of finding me. Uh, goyellowbird.com is our website. Uh, if you want information on the return to work plan, uh, it's goyellowbird.com um, forward slash return to work. It's very easy. And um you know, uh, I'm happy to assist any way that I can. And this is not a sales pitch. I, I really do believe in this industry. I think we can make a material difference and save some lives and and not cost people a ton of money to do it, which is the which is the goal. Absolutely. Well, wonderful. Michael, thank you again so much for taking time to join us today on the Employee Safety Podcast. And uh, to the rest of you out there, just remember, 
Nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency, so communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.